Hello everyone and welcome back to the Assassin's Creed podcast. This is episode 13. Oh man, <laughs> 13. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, uh, Escoblades, uh, and I'm one of your community managers on Assassin's Creed. I am joined as always by the one and only Yubi Gabe. Hello everybody. Welcome back. <laughs> yes, no, thank you for having me. How was your vacation? Uh, it was excellent. I went to California and I got a bunch of sun, so I'm still a little bit tan, I think. There, we do have assets that are coming out in the future, though, where you will be able to see a tanned Yubi Gabe. A tanned, relaxed from vacation Yubi Gabe. Uh, today, we're extremely pleased. I'm super excited. We're extremely pleased to have Carrie Young on, who is one of the scriptwriters on Assassin's Creed Syndicate, but also at Ubisoft Montreal. Welcome. Hello. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. And so uh, we're going to talk about everyone's favorite topic, Evie Fry. Evie Fry, the mastermind. It's what I have in my notes because <laughs> that's what we've dubbed her now. She is she is the mastermind. So you I, always refer to her as the mastermind. Like I've seen a couple of documents come out of you so far. The Evie Fry, the mastermind. I that's that's what I'm going with from now on. I'm, also, a big shout out to before we do begin. Big shout out to Victoria Atkin. I almost made the mistake again, again. Oh, There's some video assets that will be coming out where I mistakenly pronounced her surname as Aiken. I keep so thinking polite. that it's Aiken too, and it's it's not. <laughs> yeah, she was so polite and kindly tapped me on the shoulder and was like, could you say Atkin? <laughs> Victoria Atkin, who was wonderful. We had a good time with her. You might have seen some pictures and things like that. Uh, but yeah, she's, of course, Evie. So let's get started. Let's start with you, Kerry. So tell us a little bit about you and your work at Ubisoft prior to Syndicate. Uh, oh gosh, I've been at Ubisoft for eight years now. Uh, I came on when we were making uh, Naruto Rise of Ninja, so that was the first game I shipped way back in the day. Um, I've been on Assassin's Creed on and off since Assassin's Creed 3, uh, where I worked primarily on the uh, Animus database with all the, the snarky Sean Hastings history entries. Uh, and after that, uh, I moved around a bit. I uh, worked on the co-op primarily for Assassin's Creed Unity, and then I was very pleased to come on Syndicate, where I got to write a lot of Evie Frost stuff. It's one hell of a resume. Mm-hmm. Assassin's Creed. So yeah, Kerry's actually like super, super knowledgeable about the lore and and everything to do with. Hey, she is Sean Hastings. <laughs> <laughs> this is the no, voice I'm of not, Sean Hastings. No, I'm not quite that good. No, uh, we. Yeah, and certainly, like, I mean, for AC3, like, those Animus database entries were directly from Sean, right? Like, I mean, in other ACs, I think, following, right? So for, like, Black Flag and for Unity, I'm not sure if the database was, like, the voice of Sean, right? Like, I mean... Yeah, for Unity, we did something a bit different because, ostensibly, you were getting these entries from... um from Helix, and so they were kind of abstergo edited. So we had Sean add snarky little comments to them um, with his little asterisks and saying, well, they may tell you this, but... Um, so that was fun as well and a little bit different from, from what EC3 was. Uh, so actually, it's, just, it's really good that um, you mentioned that and, and sort of like the database and stuff, because one of the things that Assassin's Creed is like praised for a lot is you know, when we go into a historical time period, the accuracy of a lot of what is going on in that time period. So as someone who does a lot of writing, uh, give us a bit of a background as to what sort of research you have to do when like you approach a new project, for instance. So actually let's use Syndicate as an example. Like 
how did you have to go about that? Like, did you have to do much reading or were you already knowledgeable about sort of like Victorian England? Uh, I knew a little bit about Victorian England uh, because I read a lot of historical fiction. And so you pick up things here and there, but then you're not always sure um, what is fictionalized and what isn't when you're reading um, historical novels like that. When I came on to Syndicate, one of the first things was we had a, a book about the about Victorian life by a woman named Liza Picard, and that was kind of like the starting place that every writer had a copy of this book, and we all read it. And from there, you kind of branch out into more the places that interest you, and then of course the Victorian era being so huge because Victoria was queen for such a long time you really have to focus on like what part of the Victorian age are you going to focus on in the game and what does that mean what has been invented yet what hasn't been invented yet fashions have changed several times over um, train travel is more or less popular like as you go through things like that that is cool because I know one of one of the things that uh, I the community are very good about doing is once they know what the time period for the new Assassin's Creed is, a lot of them will go out and get books, some of them more uh, relevant than others, about that time period and read up so that they can try and anticipate like characters and stuff and who's going to be where in the secret battle and stuff. So that if that's a book that the writers were using for research and, and stuff, then I know a lot of the community are going to read that. So we'll put it in the description uh, wherever you happen to be listening to this so that you can you can go get the book for yourself. And maybe that's an asset we can look to produce uh, in the future where we just have like, because I feel like there's always like so much research that gets done around, you know, the time period and things like that. I always see, you know, stacks and stacks of books uh, around the studio um, for people to go and peruse, you know, not just for the for the writers, but also for, you know, uh, the character designers and, and for everyone to get like a sense of place so that we can recreate it. I wonder if that's a thing we can do and create like the Assassin's Creed reading list, like <laughs> just like a bibliography of like, here are some things. To, here's further reading, right? Like, And I, I should say, actually, that I lived in fear of losing that book because I made such extensive notes in the margins that I was deathly afraid that someone would see me reading it or I was going to leave it somewhere and someone would pick it up and then like figure out from my notes that the next Assassin's Creed game was going to be in Victorian London. <laughs> that would be that would be a tragic, tragic leak. If, especially if it were to happen that way. It'd be like, all, we found the tome. <laughs> <laughs> With all the notes, it says like leap of faith in the notes here. Can you, you mentioned that it is like... Uh, that Queen Victoria was in power for a long time. The Victorian age is extremely long. Could you um, give us an idea of what, for Assassin's Creed Syndicate, uh, what part of the Victorian area is that focused on? And give us an idea of uh, what Victorian London was like at the time. Um, so like the conditions that people were living in and stuff like that. So 1868 uh, is... It's a time at which train travel is becoming, um, train travel from the suburbs is becoming more and more of a thing. So you're at the beginning of people having like a daily commute and people living in different parts of London than what they work in. And before that, it was kind of possible to just like live and die within like three blocks of where you worked, where you were born. Um, so it's becoming kind of more cosmopolitan, I guess. Uh, Victoria is not a major figure in this time period because she doesn't make a lot of public appearances. 
uh, after the death of uh, her husband, she went into very deep mourning. And there was, in fact, at one point, somebody uh, hung a sign up on Buckingham Palace that said, you know, this space for rent, because she was never there. And people were very upset that she wasn't performing the Queen's role in public life. Um, one of the things that I learned when studying the Victorian era was that uh, when you have um, a Christmas carol, if you're reading a Christmas carol and you're thinking that Scrooge is uh, just way too extreme to be believed, Scrooge could actually have been a person at the time. He was not painted too strongly. Uh, the kind of workhouses and work conditions and uh, attitudes around poverty at the time were actually quite atrocious. So we do have um, some things in the game that focus on, we talk, we talk a little bit about child labor and a little bit about the working conditions of kind of the everyday Joe, which it's a really, really hard life. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. Work, work safety, eight hour work days, not a thing. It's incredible to me too because I, there's I, I guess we just we take so much for granted um, these days and it's and it's intriguing to me too because um, you know we're at a point where we can start fiddling around with the game a little bit and we can you know play through like you know more or less completed um, sections of the game and it's just it's one of the things that I think is so conducive to the to the atmosphere of the game is that you just have children. Um, and some of them are playing and some of them are begging and some of them are working and there doesn't need to be a lot of commentary to under to like that it's in front of you right like it and it's and it's unsettling cuz this is not the way this is not the way things are now um so injecting into that uh what is the the motivation um of the fry twins um and i guess in particular we'll we'll take a look at uh, Evie's motivation since August is the Evie month. <laughs> the mastermind. <laughs> Jacob and Evie are assassins at a time where the Templars have a lot of control over London. And in fact, they have, they have London locked down and they've had it locked down for nearly a century. So pretty much uh, since, uh, since the end of Edward's time. And they're moving around outside London, but they they come to realize pretty quickly that the assassins in Britain aren't making any headway because they won't take on the big city and they won't come in and attack um, Crawford Sterrick. And so they decide that being young and brash and arrogant, the two of them, uh, Jacob and Evie, both decide to go to London. Uh, Jacob focuses more on um, taking out Templars and Evie's interest is really that the Templars have an expert in the occult and they are going after pieces of Eden very very strongly and because she is the kind of the more studious twin and the one who has done more research into this she thinks it doesn't matter how many people they have the pieces of Eden are what's really going to cause us problems if they get hold of any and so when she gets to London that's the first thing she does is try and find out what they know and where they're hidden. And that puts her in conflict with uh, Lucy Thorne, um, who is uh, the, the Templar expert in the occult and who has done all this research and who owns all the books and the tokens and the journals and has 
very extensively found out where all these pieces of Eden are and is starting to collect them. And I mean, is there an understanding among the assassins of what the pieces of Eden are capable of? Because I mean, the idea is that they have, I guess they would have like the records from Altair of who documented the, the apple, right? But I mean, I, I like is I guess my question is like, is Evie alone in this quest? Like, or I, I think in a way, Jacob kind of sees it as like those are myths. Like there can't really be anything like that. And Evie's like, no, this is a real thing. These objects were real, and they kind of come into conflict with that early in the game where Jacob is like, this isn't even a problem. I don't know why you think these things exist. And he's like, no, they do. And if the Templars get hold of them, it's really going to cause problems for us. And so that's a, a bone of contention between them. <laughs> it's fascinating too, because I mean, it, it does sound crazy. It's like, no, you don't understand. They have like this brass, like a gold shining ball that will control your mind. And if they get to keep it, then we're going to lose. Okay, I'm actually just going to go and see if I can round up some some fellas and, and beat them down, actually. I think that's our best course of action. And I think if you if you were looking back on it, like if you're looking back to stuff that Ezio wrote in the Renaissance and you're thinking, you know, I like that Ezio guy and he really was a good assassin, but was he entirely truthful in all of this stuff that he wrote down? <laughs> and so I, I have... We have Jacob kind of coming out of that place where Evie is like, no, this is absolutely true and real and they're rare and that's why we haven't found any. And she's right. Of course she's right. <laughs> we know we know for a fact, at least in terms of the Assassin's Creed fiction, that <laughs> that she's she's 100% right. I think it's actually uh, interesting that you mentioned that she's the more studious of, of the twins and she has a lot of attributes that she doesn't really share with her brother i think it's probably for the best that she's the one going on that path looking after looking and looking into and going after uh you know the, like the pieces of eden and, and and people like lucy thorne whereas jacob is more about uh you know hey let's just let's just take back london and get into brawls and and things like that and you know uh because as as we've mentioned in in a lot of stuff, and especially coming out of Gamescom, of course, Evie Evie differs from her brother in in a variety of ways. Obviously, you've you've mentioned that she she takes time to plan. Uh, she's she's more into you know reading and making sure all avenues and bases are covered. Um, she's the stealthier of the two. She will sit back and she's 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 more assassin like. I guess is that. Is that is that a fair assessment? More old school assassin. She, yeah, she's more of the old school assassin, and Jacob is kind of like, "Yay, life is a big adventure!" And Evie's like, "No, this is the way it has to be. We follow the creed. I'm going to plan this mission six ways from Sunday. Like, just everything, everything has to happen in its place." And she listens to her father. Um, who is a very kind of old school assassin and who has taught them a very particular interpretation of the creed. And she ties herself to that very strongly. And that's one of the things that she has to overcome is to learn different ways to be an assassin over the course of the game. Okay, that's actually very interesting because we're going to come on to the relationship with their father, or at least what you can talk about uh, that at this time. But I guess, I guess obviously... I'm guessing that relationship that she has with her father differs from the relationship Jacob had with the father, just because it seems he turned out a little bit different. He's more, or maybe that's his defense mechanism. I don't know. And can, can you elaborate a little bit on, on that? Maybe? 
Yeah, I feel like Ethan Fry, he trained them both, but Jacob was never the studious one. He was always the one who wanted to be out doing and be very active, while Evie was the one who would stay with her father and plan and read and learn about things. And Jacob was never super into the lore, the history of the assassins. And so in that sibling way, I think um, Jacob always feels like maybe his father was closer with Evie and he's a little bit jealous of that. Um, and so there is kind of a conflict there. I, there's no big like father loved you more moment. <laughs> I don't want people to get that impression, but that they did have very different relationships with their father and where Jacob is more inclined to kind of have his own interpretation of things and run off and do things his own way and get into trouble because of it. Evie wants to Evie wants to stick close to it and make sure that she does things kind of the, the quote-unquote right way. Yeah, so it seems like uh, as I, I wouldn't say as twins generally tend to be, but twins that tend to have like personality differences like that, um, Jacob is more street smart, whereas Evie is more book smart kind of thing. Like, by no means is she, you know, going to be a slouch when it comes to getting stuff done, as we've seen. But like, you know, she's more. She'll think things like kind of like a chess player, seven moves ahead. It's like, all right, okay, I'm probably going to have to save his butt at this point in time, so I'll just wait there, and then he gets into trouble. It's like, oh look, your sister's here. <laughs> Fancy that. So yeah, actually, I do want to ask one question: Who's the older? Evie is older. Evie is older. Evie's the older twin. Okay. So, uh, in keeping with the idea that Evie is, you know, uh, the more studious of the two, um, you would imagine that uh, among studious people, sometimes they, you know, keep journals or or things of that nature, um, and there there might be something in the game along those lines. Would you care to elaborate on that? Uh, Evie has a notebook that she keeps that chronicles her her search um, for pieces of Eden throughout the game, uh, which was super fun to write. It's meant to be sort of a professional notebook, so um, it's not meant to be like super emotional and here's how I'm feeling, but you do kind of get snippets of her relationship with Jacob, her relationship with Henry, of course, who's the other assassin in the picture, her relationship with all of the other people that you meet throughout London. And that was super fun to write because it let me have her express herself kind of on paper in a way that I think might be more comfortable for her, in a way that it's more comfortable for me too as a writer to be able to kind of write things out longhand. So, hmm. and uh, there, but she also has some unique collectibles too. Yes, <laughs> I'm very excited about the collectibles. And just the collectibles in general in the game, actually, um, we really wanted to tie a lot more of the collectibles back into the narrative. And I think we've really done that. And so Evie has her own set of collectibles, and we've done something that sort of um, harkens back to the, the feathers from Assassin's Creed 2, where you collected them and you put them in a box, and that unlocked your, uh, Ezio's storyline with his mother. Uh, and so for this, Evie will have some collectibles. Am I allowed to say what they are? Uh, Andy's, Andy's shaking his head. Andy's shaking his head. Okay, yeah. we'll keep, we'll, we'll keep, we'll it keep that secret. secret. Refer to them as the collectibles. <laughs> uh, and, and as she picks them up, um, 
there will be um, a couple of scenes that unlock very short scenes, but they will tell a story of uh, one of her relationships in the game. It's funny because I um, like I'm reminded of the in in Brotherhood we had the Christina missions, I think where you know you do uh, a really short mission with Christina and get a little glimpse of of their relationship, which was funny because like it 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 illuminated a side of Ezio's life that you had never seen before, right? Like this because we and it's it sort of like cast a new cast him in a new light where you always think of him as being this debonair ladies man and a lot of people I think misunderstand that as like he's a womanizer um, but I think that there are elements of his character that are illuminated by the Christina missions and how much he cared for her and how much he wished that he could be with her but how you know throughout the uh, the course of those missions you realize how challenging that would ever be for the two of them and how tragic it is um, I think that that's uh, it's it's cool for us to get back to that kind of storytelling, right? Where, um, and I think people miss it from those days, like especially with things like the the glyph puzzles and stuff like that, where we have, you know, you you do a couple of things or you collect a certain number of items and then you get some narrative. Um, that's I, I feel like it's something that's been missing from this series for a little while, right? Like because uh, we always hear people like, "Oh, bring back this, bring back that." Um, I wish we did it more because I feel like when you're doing um, the main path missions and the sequences, you always want to be focused on the mission and who your target is and not kind of distract the player with with different stories. But when you do these side missions, you do have an opportunity to kind of open that up and humanize the assassin and kind of talk about what their life is like outside of this one very specific story that we're trying to tell. Yeah, and it's I, I think it's true of like design, for example, where you know when you have an open world, like I think a lot of players want to be focused on, and and there's so much you know the the whole concept of cognitive dissonance where you know you're, the the player is being told like oh you have to get this done right away, and then also go ahead and collect twigs or something like that in the world and like you know uh, uh, build a treehouse out of them, a miniature treehouse to unlock a memory or something. It's like when. You, you have to have some freedom in that in order to be able to realize that like, well, so there are things that need to get done in this world, but then also these are people who are living their lives. And so you're going to get little bits and pieces of their lives like intermingled, but it's totally up to you how you want to, how you want to get them. If you just want to solve like the main thing and then go back as like a retrospective in the open world and like uncover all that stuff, you're welcome to do that. Or if you want to try and go about it organically and clear out the map so to speak right with like the missions that are all available to you at the time you can do that as well um because i was noticing uh just being able to get my hands on it for a little while i'm very much the clean out the map person so i take out like everything i can um and i'm super completionist and because of that it takes me like you know dozens of hours to complete an assassin's creed which is the worst thing for someone who's trying to get it done before it comes out (laughs) But you're the kind of player we love, Gabe. Yeah. you see all the content. So I think this is like, and I mean, I don't want to spoil much about what we have in store, but I feel like there are more opportunities for you to get to know the twins in Syndicate outside of their grand quest to, you know, conquer London and defeat the Templars, which are important. But there, I feel like there are a lot of members of our community, certainly the reason we have so many supporters and such amazing fans who are stuck with the series for such a long time is because they really appreciate um, the strong narrative and the like the cool characters that we have 
Um, and so I think they're really in for a treat with, with both Jacob and especially Evie. And I think their relationship has been super fun to write, too. It's so nice to have two characters that can play off of one another. And so it's it's really great to write that brother-sister relationship because, um, and I think anyone who has a sibling knows that there's no one who can get under your skin like a brother or sister who knows you better than you know yourself almost. And we do have those just great moments of them just poking at one another where they know it hurts the most. So that's a lot of fun. No, that's, that's very true. But also, especially something that you'd mentioned earlier as well, um, before we move on to the next topic, which was the fact that, again, you know, Evie sort of like uh, has been very, has been told a particular way, knows a particular way, but one of the challenges she has to overcome to grow is to learn how to do things different ways. And it's like, there's probably no better person to teach her that than her brother, who's constantly doing things in a way that probably would annoy her. But then she has to stop and think, hey, but maybe if, or if he does something successfully, it's like, well, that's another way to do a thing, right? And and begrudgingly give him that, give him that credit. Very begrudgingly, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, with that in mind, actually, one thing that we particularly have a lot of fun with uh, on the podcasts and in general uh, as part of our jobs uh, is finding out how you feel about uh, what you think about the community. Um and, and not just in general, like specific hubs, because as a writer, you probably come more into contact with these specific hubs. What are you trying to say exactly? <laughs> I'm just trying to say, because one thing we notice, and, and the community is fantastic for this, is like once once they know who's involved in a particular game, they'll reach out to you in person, uh, like um, or personally rather, either via social media or however, and be like, hey, I liked this, or, you know, here's the fan art that I did about a character that you wrote kind of thing or whatever. So like, how has that been for you? Um, it's so exciting because this is the first time in an Assassin's Creed game that I really got to work on like one of the principal characters. So I, and a lot of the other writers too, were just kind of constantly surfing around on like Tumblr and various places, finding fan art and sending it to one another, finding out what the fans are saying about our characters, reading some of the speculation, <laughs> tenting our fingers about it because we're like, well, you're going to find out. Um, it's, it's so exciting to be part of a community and it's so gratifying when you've worked on something that's been so secret for so long as these games tend to be. Um, to finally see things like when the the launch trailer comes out, we had the big launch, and then E3, and now Gamescom, and see these waves of people talking about the stuff that you've worked on that you've been really excited to tell them about. I think Andy wants to lead me into talking about fan fiction. <laughs> I was actually going to give you a little bit of a... It wasn't just going to throw you into the leap of faith. I was going to say, like, what, what, what places do you normally, what community spots do you normally like to, to look at maybe on a daily or sort of weekly basis or whatever? Because, like, someone you work closely with, James, I know he's, he's very big on Twitter and Tumblr. He, he's constantly on those. So is that the same for you or do you look at other different places? I'm mostly on Twitter and Tumblr. Um, I do kind of look around to see what people are, are saying about things, but principally those two. I should say I don't read the fan fiction because as a writer, it's extremely dangerous for me to read people's fan fiction in my job. Even if it didn't influence what I wrote, people would feel that it did. So um, I support all you guys writing fan fiction out there, but I don't read your stuff. Um, 
kind of can't too, right? Like, I mean, that's yeah, that's that's the thing. I think that is we 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 do get people contacting us sometimes. We're like, hey, can you show this to the writers? And it's like, no, we 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 legally we cannot. Like, in fact, I can't look at this either, right? Like, that's the that's it's funny because that's the one area where we can't really accept submissions of any kind like when people send us artwork and stuff we can promote it and it's not really considered that big of a deal but for some reason like story elements and fan fiction stuff like that is especially prickly yeah and it it makes me super sad because i know there's some stuff going on out there and i i do like you want to look you want to know what people are saying about your characters and what they think and how they would write them but i can't um but i do think that people should ship all the ships (laughs) <laughs> set sail to lands far and wide <laughs> you've been giving a ship all the ship you know what that should be a hashtag that's the new hashtag we're gonna have to bring it in when we start uh live streaming again ship all the ships hashtag do a thing hashtag ship all the ships sail all those ships um the writers are delighted to know it's out there and uh, and we do we share the fan art a lot and uh of course um paul and victoria and jez dale who plays henry as well we were on set for a lot of the um the motion capture various writers were there various weeks so now that the fan art and stuff is coming out we're sending them pictures and all the great fan art that we find so they're seeing it too so everybody's kind of passing stuff back and forth and it's it's really great yeah, that's just reminded me of something because I remember when we were working on, I think it was when we were working on Unity and you had mentioned something that the writers were talking about, like you and Travis were talking about a musical and I thought you guys were like, okay, yeah, you're going to do Assassin's Creed the musical. All right, well, I'll believe it when I see it. Like, okay, like, sure, sure. You guys are really enthusiastic and your enthusiasm grew and grew and grew for a while and then I didn't hear anything else about it. Until we were out with Paul and Victoria shooting our secret project that you guys will probably see later this this month or maybe around the time of this podcast coming out. Um, but uh, but yeah, and they had mentioned that it's it's a real thing that they participated in on set <laughs> that they had. Oh, they were making up songs, <laughs> and there's there's a video out there somewhere of Paul and Victoria and Michael, who was our dialect coach, singing like just this patter song. One of the directors on set took a picture of it, uh, took like a little video on his iPhone. And I've been trying to get hold of it, but he won't send it to me because he's afraid I'll post it on the internet and then he'll get in trouble. No, send, tell, tell, him you'll, tell him you'll give it to us. Yes. Yes. Make sure that goes to a good place. Yeah, and we'll post it with this podcast. Or or probably not. Maybe later. I mean, to an extent, you don't know how much of this is inside jokes because you're on the set and it seems very funny at the time, but like you don't know if anybody else is going to get the joke. But we do... Yeah, they made up songs. I think they did a video of Assassin's Creed speed dating. Um, that was just kind of a thing that they ad-libbed on set. Um... Yeah, no, it was it was super fun. We have our orders in to uh, Jeff Skalski to get uh, to get all of the B roll from the mocap sessions to see if we can see what we can go through because I think this is going to be our year of like outtakes and bloopers for sure. Being able to actually find those and unearth them because it sounds like 
there's a treasure trove. <laughs> and I think if you talk to the writers, maybe we can point you in good directions for uh, finding some of the the blooper reels and stuff that's out there. You heard it here first. We're we're working for you guys. We're looking. We're always on the on the on the lookout for for fresh content for our community. It's totally altruistic. You can't see these loons. They're sitting in their chairs and giggling maniacally. I'm wringing my hands. <laughs> I was actually wringing my hands through most of that conversation. <laughs> well, on that note, we're going to have to wrap it up. Uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Absolute pleasure. Uh, we've mentioned it already, but where can people find you on social media should they want to show you fan art? I am Tough Love Muse on both Twitter and Tumblr, and they can contact me there. Awesome. And Gabe? Uh, I'm UB Gabe on everything except I don't I don't think I have a Tumblr. Because when I look at Tumblr, I look at it through the Assassin's Creed Tumblr, the official one, and we do look. And we're, we're Assassin's Creed on pretty much everything. It's Assassin's Creed on Twitter, Assassin's Creed on Facebook, Assassin's Creed on Tumblr. Assassin's Creed on Google Plus, Assassin's Creed on YouTube. Those are the ones you need. Except on Instagram or Assassin's Creed underscore US. And uh, I'm Escoblades on Twitter. Feel free to get in touch with us should you have questions. Or if you want to let us know that you enjoyed the episode with Kerry. You can also tag her in it as well. She'd love that. So yeah, until next time, Assassins. Take care and bye. <laughs>